Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Hey, I gotta take a massive piss. You know what, same. If that sounds like a weird way to start an episode, uh, I hate to break it to you, but that is the first declarative statement in this movie. Set to the breeders? Yeah. On a soundtrack that is almost exclusively New Radical covers and Christian rock? Yep. yep. And Mandy Moore? Yep. It sure is. It's a choice. It shows that he's a bad boy. A bad boy who listens to the breeders. <laughs> Hi there, prom party. Hello. We're clearly taking things very seriously as we start into our romantic movie for this Valentine's Day. This coming-of-age romantic drama? This movie that is way, way more Christian than I remember it being. Yeah, I asked you like, hey, uh, BJ, does it lay it on real thick? And you go, no, I mean, she's like a pastor's daughter, but I don't think it's that thick. It's very thick. I was so wrong. <laughs> yeah, so, woo, we're doing a walk to remember. We are absolutely doing a walk to remember, and I'm so excited to talk about this movie because we both have pretty capital O opinions about it. Yeah, well, I haven't seen this movie in about 20 years because it's the 20-year anniversary, and I saw it in theaters. Which is, I, I can't wait to get into that nonsense. <sighs> it's going to be a lot. So, I... I don't know. I, I think I have a more nuanced approach to my 11-year-old self. Well, before we start there, we have come up with a handy-dandy way for me to stop forgetting to do plugs. We have morning announcements. Because, you know, like the day before prom, you got morning announcements. So here you go. Just leaning full into the gimmick. We're just really leaning into the gimmick. So yes, morning announcements time, prom party. We have a Patreon. Patreon.com backslash this ends at prom, where we do things like offer playlists, we have mini sods, we have the Sadie Hawkins dance where Harmony has me watch teen boy movies, and we've recently started our TV homecoming series where we go through a really seminal series that has to deal with, you know, similar themes to the show, and we're starting it off with Pen 15. Yeah, so we get to do that all year. <laughs> yeah, so it's really, really exciting. Obviously, we would love your support on Patreon, but we understand that finances are tight. So if you can't do that, then you can show your support other ways, like sending us to a friend or rating us on Apple Podcasts. Give us that five-star review. Or you can rate episodes on Spotify now if you are one of the people who listen to us through Spotify. Yeah, that was really exciting to find out through You Are Good that you can rate on Spotify now. Yeah, that was great. So, <laughs> you know, do that. It genuinely does help. We've been, you know, still kicking 
taken it in the top 25 of the most listened to uh, film review podcasts, and that's really exciting. Not bad for a podcast recorded in our apartment while we have to listen to our downstairs neighbors maybe scream about how football players are pussies and faggots while the Santa Ana winds blow our shutters open and closed. So... Yeah, we're not doing too bad for a homebrewed operation. <laughs> yeah, but for real though, you might hear that in the background, and if you do, we're gonna do our best to cover it. But uh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It's there. It's there. That's the thing. That's it's authentic. Going on. <laughs> it's part of the charm. All right. So with our morning announcements out of the way, Harmony, please, please tell me about seeing this movie in the theater as an eleven-year-old. I was dragged to see this movie as a part of a church retreat. Oh, oh. For for youth group. Oh. <laughs> yep. Were there people crying? Probably. Okay. I want to say yeah. Um I don't emphatically remember the like after theater experience for this movie as much as I do The Passion of the Christ where everyone was saying like, "Oh my god, it's so powerful." <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, that was just like 2 hours of That movie's porn. G- that's gore. It was just gore. It was like torture porn. It's the most violent thing I've ever seen." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's also wildly anti-Semitic, but I guess the, the Lutherans didn't want to talk about that in, in youth group. <laughs> So no, I don't remember if people were crying or not. I do remember a very distinct feeling, and I'm curious if you have this. Um, do you remember the first time that you ever realized that, like, hey, sometimes movies are bad? Because <laughs> this was that movie for me. Like, there's a lot of bad movies, like, really bad movies out there. Like, pick your any, like, scary movie, movie movies, or mm-hmm. your Polly Shores, or, you know, Tyler Perry, whoever, whoever you have that like people universally tend to go like, this is a really bad movie. Mm-hmm. I didn't think they were bad. I was 10 years old. I saw Kangaroo Jack in theaters. I saw <laughs> Snow Dog in theaters and was mostly felt bamboozled. I didn't think they were bad movies. I was just confused because the promotion for that was built entirely around dream sequences. Mm-hmm. This is the first time that I felt a movie was bad. Because <laughs> like I didn't get a lot of films that like my dad watched, but I'm like, oh, this is outside my pay grade as like a 10 year old. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. It's not for me. One day, maybe I'll get it. I legitimately thought it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> and it I, blew my fucking worldview open. I don't know if I can distinctly remember the first movie that I was like, wow, movies can be bad um, because I watched a lot of schlock growing up. So like a lot of that is really embedded into my taste, which makes it difficult for me to be like, oh, wow, this is just this is just bad. Um, I think that's something that I started to develop as I got older and I got a little bit more intense in how I interrogate the way I watch movies Um, because I was very much like, well, you know, I like a lot of stuff that a lot of people think is bad. So who am I to judge? Uh, That's kind of how I've been for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's only been recently where I've been able to be a little bit more definitive about it and be like, no, the brown bunny bunny is actually really bad. Um, what the fuck is the brown bunny? Um, it is a. <laughs> I don't know if you're ready for that conversation. Okay, I guess we'll deal with that off mic then. Um, everybody just Google Roger Ebert brown bunny, and um, you'll fall down a rabbit hole that's really uncomfortable and upsetting, and. Hopefully you find it to be as funny as I do, but yeah, we'll find out. Great. I mean, I just recently learned that My Sister Rides the Bus is a thing, so I am just getting hit with, like, movie bricks over and over again. Yeah, there... It's just a whole lot of why was this made. This movie, I understand why it was made, though. Oh, Nicholas Sparks. And I have a lot... I just have so many conflicting feelings about Nicholas Sparks, and especially about this book in general, Mm -hmm. um, and 
the movie and then the subsequent legacy that, you know, Nicholas Sparks has made as, you know, the king of the movie poster of white people almost kissing. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) that is very much kind of his bread and butter. And A Walk to Remember is kind of what skyrocketed his career um, in in a very big way. I think that's sort of correct but i don't i think that there's a little more to that so if you would care to join me let's talk about some context that involves the career of one mr nicholas sparks oh uh-oh, let's go okay so in doing some research for a walk to remember and trying to get kind of like the world that we're living in in 2002 which we've been to before there's been a few films that we've spent time with from this year and this era But if you were to really look at, like, the teen releases of it, none of them make sense for the world that A Walk to Remember is living in. Mm -hmm. Like, Crossroads, um, Bend It Like Beckham, or Orange County, Mm -hmm. Blue Crush, Pumpkin. Speaking of other, like, how was this made movies? Uh Uh-huh. Spider-Man. Like, none of these have anything to do with this world. No, not really, no. So, we're stepping outside that. We're looking at Nicholas Sparks and his kind of, like, experience with what brings this what produces this film. Okay. And his legacy was not built on A Walk to Remember. It was built on the book version of The Notebook, Mm -hmm. which went best-selling the first week it was released. Which is bananas to me. Like, the hype around this man was there day one. Yeah. And this is the second of his adaptations, the first one being being 1999's Message in a Bottle. Right. which Which made $120 million. As opposed to Walk to Remember's only like modest fifty million. See, and here's the thing, and I will make this argument till I'm blue in the face: is Message in a Bottle obviously made more money, mm-hmm. but Message in a Bottle was not like a cultural touchstone the way a Walk to Remember was, and it's because Message in a Bottle leans a little bit older for mm-hmm. the audience. Like that is a mom movie, exactly for sure. Which leads to another point that I bring up, which is. Who is this movie for? Why was it made? Mm -hmm. And this movie is like the mom romance movie movie for teens. Yes, it absolutely is. Because this is the mother-daughter date movie. Yeah. This is what, like, you don't go to see this movie with your boyfriend. You see this movie with your mom after brunch. Yeah. I I was trying to be like, what are the contemporaries for this release? And there's none really this year per se. But if you were to look at it, it's like, oh, it's, it's a Notting Hill. It's like a yes. Sandra Bullock romance of like Hope Floats or like a Tom Hanks Meg Ryan joint. Like that's what we're trying to capture for a teen audience with a walk to remember, mm-hmm. specifically a very Christian teen audience. Yes, 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 yes. Um so in your research, did you learn anything about Nicholas Sparks's inspiration for this book? Nope, but I know that you uh you may have dropped a couple nuggets while we were watching it. So there's a few things to keep in mind with this adaptation. So the book version of A Walk to Remember is set in the 50s, first off. Uh, Which makes so much more sense. It makes so much more sense when you think about it. They updated it because they didn't think that teenagers would have been interested in it. Um, And this is also why we have this like weird through line of him being really into muscle cars. No, that's 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 the guy porn. Yeah, it's but, the guy porn. Because but it's Mandy Moore rooted. looks like she's dying the whole movie, and the boyfriends that were dragged to the film need some eye candy to look at, and it's by way of, like, cherry red classic cars. Right, but that is so much like a 1950s thing. Mm-hmm. Like, so it 
it feels like a weird quirk in this movie. Whereas if it's set in the 50s, that's just what all of them were doing. Yeah. So it makes a lot more sense that way. Except then he grows up and gets a sensible car. Yeah. It's whatever the 2002 <laughs> version of a Prius is. It's like a Subaru, I think. <laughs> um, but he uh, he wrote this book in honor of his sister. And as mm-hmm. well, like, you know, the movie is dedicated to her as well. Nicholas Sparks' sister uh, unfortunately did pass from cancer, and before she did, a man did propose to her knowing full well he was not going to be able to have a full life with her, and he found that gesture to be so beautiful and so moving that he wanted to write about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's very sweet, and that's very touching. Um, I do know that Danielle Sparks never actually read the book, nor did she see the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she passed before the movie was done, but she never read the book saying, I don't want to know how it ends, mm-hmm. which I think is like, you know, I, I get that. That's very sweet. Mm-hmm. But a lot of my biggest complaints about this movie are in the characterization of Jamie and I think that they exist because Nicholas Sparks is way too close to the material mm-hmm. because he's writing about his sister, somebody that he loves dearly, somebody who knows is going to die. So he paints this character that is so like beyond better than everyone else that you she becomes unlikable. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's because that's where the source material it is. Like it's it's too it's too hard for him to have written like a complex and nuanced character mm-hmm. that may be imperfect because like it's his sister and this is his mm-hmm. like farewell to her. Um, but we'll, we'll get more into that, but that these are things to keep in mind before we really kind of go in on this movie. Yeah. And this is kind of a, uh, a fairly common occurrence in the work of Nicholas Sparks, especially with, you know, A Walk to Remember and The Notebook, is the tragedy that exists mm-hmm. in these stories. And I guess the last thing worth bringing up as far as, like, the world that makes this man as successful as he is, is that his career started in, like, the mid to late 90s, where we are post-Romeo plus Juliet, where we are post Titanic, Mm -hmm. where there's a lot of money in tragic romances. So much money in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, this is where we definitely get that big boom of what I like to call tragedy porn. Yep. And underneath that tragedy porn umbrella is also cichlet. Mm -hmm. Um, This is the cichlet uh, that, in my opinion, is the grandmother for A Fault in Our Stars, Mm -hmm. and uh, I have a lot of obviously mixed feelings about that. If you want more information, go listen to our episode on The Fault in Our Stars. I cry a lot in it. It's one of our longest episodes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a a lot. But I dive in really, really deeply on why uh, sick lit as a concept is really upsetting for me as a a cancer survivor. Um, But for those out there who somehow have escaped a walk to remember and don't know what it's about. You were never dragged there for Sunday school. (laughs) Right. Or you didn't have that one girl in choir class who was really, really, really into singing Only Hope by Mandy Moore, which is a cover of a Switchfoot song, but this is, her version's better. It's fine. You only sang along to it while we were watching the movie. It's just, it's embedded in my brain. I can't get rid of it. Um, (laughs) So according to our friend Dango... A Walk to Remember is about a young delinquent, Shane West, falls for a minister's, Peter Coyote, daughter, Mandy Moore. Oh, that's it? Oh, that's it. I mean, that that really is just it, though. Unlike A Fault in Our Stars, which 
does have other things going on in it other than the romance. Like, you know, the fault in our stars. The, yeah. This the, movie is only the romance and also Jesus. Yes, it is the romance, it is Jesus, and it is, I guess, uh, astronomy. Landon, get, yeah, a, a, little a little bit of astronomy. <laughs> Landon learning to be a better person. Uh, I think we described Jamie as being a... Uh, the manic Christian dream girl. <laughs> yeah, that is the term you came up with while we were watching it. And oh dear, do we do we want to just dive in? Do we want to start with Mandy? Yeah, we we got to start with Jamie. Um, oh god. Normally I have you start, but I'm already on a roll and I'm okay. feeling a little spicy. Go ahead. I hate the character of Jamie so much. And first of all, Mandy Moore is doing great. Mandy Moore is doing frustratingly well. She is so wonderful and doing everything she's supposed to. All of her instincts are correct. She's wonderful. It's the character that I don't like. The character is presented to us as being the best, kindest, nicest, most thoughtful person in the world who doesn't care about anyone. And she, you know, bravely will carry her Bible and she only owns one sweater and she doesn't care about all of the social politics of high school because she's better than everyone. She's just so great. And we're all pieces of shit because we're not as good as her. Like that is how she's presented. And it's so frustrating because I it, I don't like her for ninety mm-hmm. percent of this movie. Um, yeah, she she really doesn't start on a good foot. No, she starts off so bratty and mm-hmm. like so like condescending. Yeah, really, really arrogant. Um, not very Christian of you, Jamie. Kind of okay. Um. So I guess the elephant in the room is that I think I've addressed this in the past, but I have a, a large amount of disdain for religious text, particularly of the the, the Christian and the Catholic faith. Yes. Um, I think that the issue that I have with Jamie here, and I'm going to really try to focus like not on my overall feelings of religion, but let's focus on the characters themselves. My issue I have with Jamie, and this is probably because her father is a pastor is that she has all the answers to everything which is i'm better than you because i'm going to heaven everything's okay it doesn't matter if i die because there's better things waiting for me i am a tragedy and that makes it okay Mm -hmm. and there's there's this egotism that i don't like for people who feel like they have the answer to everything based on their spirituality. And this extends to even just like something as simple as astrology where it's like, oh, well, you would think that because you're an Aries. And it's like, okay, well, um, fuck you. Right. (laughs) Like, I just hate that attitude in all forms of religion, regardless of which one it is. And it is frustrating because Mandy Moore is, I like Mandy Moore. I like her in a lot of things. I mean, I don't, I don't really like her in 47 meters down, but I don't really like 47 meters down. It just sounds like Rapunzel's getting attacked by sharks because I can't see her face. It's weird. That's not <laughs> Mandy Moore's fault. But I like Mandy Moore and she's, her, her physical acting, her facial acting, her timing, they're all really, really good. Like it proves that she can act far better than she can sing. Hey, I like Manny Moore as a singer. I think she's a fine singer. I think she's a great actress. Okay, that's fair. Okay. Why do you, you just immediately went to bad faith? Like I'm sitting here going, oh, Mandy Moore? What, what who is she? Jessica Simpson? I was just going to be like, um, excuse me, Mandy Moore sings your favorite Disney princess. So fuck off. It's true. But <laughs> that aside, I just have that she, she immediately has this wall up and I get why she does. Because she's trying to keep people out. Don't get close to me because I will hurt you because I am dying. 
Right. I get it. But I don't think that it's necessarily intended, Mm -hmm. at least not in the direct way that it is. Well, so here's the thing is I would understand that mentality if it wasn't in complete opposition to all of her actions. Mm -hmm. Because she has this attitude of like, you know, don't fall in love with me. Don't get close to me. Because, you know, as we find out, spoiler alert, she has leukemia and she's dying. Mm -hmm. So that's why she doesn't want to develop these close relationships. And yet she's the one who gets up off the bus to sit next to Landon to talk to him, to try to help him. She is constantly offering olive branches. She's the one that's like, sure, are we going to hang out this day? Like she's the one trying to make like this friendship happen. So that's where it gets really frustrating because when, you know, Landon's the one who asks like, hey, I need help. And she's the one who keeps pursuing it. And it's only until he humiliates her publicly that she backs away from him. And at that point, that's kind of when I get on board with Jamie because I'm like, yeah, no, you do not have to be nice to him. He sucks. Mm -hmm. Jamie. Jamie. You don't know the first thing about being someone's friend. I don't want to just be your friend. You don't know what you want. Neither do you. Maybe you're just too scared that someone might actually want to be with you. And why would that scare me? Because then you wouldn't be able to hide behind your books, or your freaking telescope, or your faith. No, no. You know the real reason why you're scared? It's because you want to be with me, too. Um, But I remember the trailer has the bus scene happen, where he's like, you really don't care what anyone thinks of you. And she just goes, no. And I remember every girl in school had that moment of like, how brave, not like most girls. Like, that's what it is. Like, this is the Christian version of not like most girls. This is the, the I'm, I dressed modest, therefore I have a moral high ground above you attitude Mm -hmm. that I really don't subscribe to. And that's why I think her character is so difficult knowing that it's inspired by Nicholas Sparks' like real sister because he doesn't want to paint his sister as anything but the best human being on the planet. Mm-hmm. And I get that. But doing so is a huge detriment to the story. True. Um, here, here's my counterpoint to that. I'm defending this movie. Well, who the fuck am I? <laughs> here's my counterpoint to that, which is that um, in in similar way that we defend like shitty kids – like, I, I defend, um, like, the little brats from the Bad News Bears mm-hmm. for being, like, the horrible kids there because it's like, oh, they were taught that by their parents. Everything about Jamie is taught to her by her dad. Yeah, her dad's kind of a piece. Her dad, who is, like, Eric Roberts, but a Monet version. Yeah, Peter Coyote is kind of Monet Eric Roberts. Where it's like, oh, is that Eric Roberts? Then he gets close and you go, no. <laughs> it's not Eric Roberts, but it looks like him from far away. Um, but no, all of this is passed down. And so much of the Christian faith is built around um, the reward of suffering. Yeah. So you're going to be rewarded for your pain. You're going to be rewarded for your service because you are a fisher of men. It is your job to go ahead and bring Landon into our faith to save him. Yeah. That's so a this good goes point. against who she might be, but what she's been like indoctrinated by from her faith or specifically from her parenting. And that mm. makes all of it make way more sense. Yeah. But then you have this internal struggle that isn't really addressed and really isn't intentional. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. Okay. That's fair. That's a fair criticism. So I I wish this character was having more difficult conversations like that, but it's not. This is just a lot of going through the motions. I honestly don't even get really what chemistry these two have together. That is the one thing that let's let's kind of pivot a little bit and let's talk about Landon because I think 
that will get us to the, the main issue that I have with this movie is that I don't buy them at all. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel about Landon? He's there. Mm-hmm. Landon is the most like stock Carolina boy I can think of. Mm-hmm. He likes cars because he's an American man and he plays sports because he's an American man and he's slightly a bully because he's an American man. Yeah. And who is he? I don't know. Jamie changes him to who? I don't know. A boy who's polite. A boy who's polite and goes to med school. Yeah, I'm like, I don't... It's the difficult question that you have where if you ask someone like, okay, well, describe yourself. Who are you? And most people will define themselves by their interests. I'm like, oh, well, I'm a gamer. I'm a writer. I'm... A, a, a person who likes to read like those aren't who you are those are your interests but then you ask like well who are you beyond that and then it's like um i don't know that gets dicey because it's a little more subjective who is landon outside of his interests i don't know he's kind of a jerk and then he's not as much of a jerk but who is he yeah i, I can define him by who he isn't but i don't know who he is so here's my thinking on this character and why he exists in this way So you're absolutely correct in terms of he's kind of a bad boy. Like, we're introduced to him committing a crime. And so we're like, okay, so he's kind of a bad boy. Vague trespassing. Yeah, vague trespassing and some peer pressure. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's our idea of, like, oh, he's a bad kid. Um, We know that he likes to fix old classic hot rods. That is all he does in every single scene he's in without Jamie. Right. He is building a telescope or fixing a car. He's a man who works with his hands. Yes. So he's got that going for him. He's dating a girl who's like kind of mean and has highlights. Mm-hmm. Um, Brenda. So, you know, and then he, he hangs out with his friends who make like kind of raunchy jokes and they're Brenda, kind of mean. Is it Belinda? I think it's Belinda. Whatever her name is. <laughs> I'm looking is. at the IMD bear right now. I'm like, there's we, no Brenda. <laughs> we don't give her enough time. Belinda. Uh, yeah, we don't get enough time to really get to know her. Also, I have no idea what the name is of the girl that Paz de la Huerta plays. I'll just know that it's Paz de la Huerta. Um, Tracy. Tracy. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, he hangs out with, you know, that friend group. So we were supposed to think that he's like a bad boy, but he's just there Mm-hmm. Like, he, there's nothing, like, super special to write home about him. He's a bad boy by Christian standards. Correct. So here's here's why I think he exists this way. He's such a nondescript guy in the same way that, like, Bella Swan is a nondescript woman so that mm-hmm. women can put themselves in her shell and make themselves the protagonist. They can use Landon as the de facto stand-in for whoever boy it is at school that they have a crush on this can be any boy that they are interested in and he can fit in that shell and you can be the one to change him you can be the one to make him better you can be the one that can really have the true love of your life because you're that wonderful that you can change him and make him better that's why i think he exists that way and that's gross we all like a fixer-upper right Ugh. Landon likes to fix up his cars. We can fix up men. Yeah. <clears throat> Gross. I'm not a fan. Um, I think we'll get into this a little bit more when we actually discuss Twilight in two weeks. I know. I hope you're all alert. excited for just a big block of romance movies. But <laughs> I think the Twilight suffers from very, very similar interactions and in how the scenes play out, which is like, 
it feels like they're just sleepwalking through the motions of what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Um, Because it doesn't matter the actions. It just matters about, like, the destination. Like, the journey Mm -hmm. seems like it does not matter in this movie. Because it's like, it doesn't really matter what they choose to do. It doesn't really matter if they get along. It doesn't matter. Like, there's these set pieces that mean something. But the end goal is, hey, they're going to end up getting married and then she dies. Yeah. So the the way along there sort of doesn't matter because the destination is already predetermined. And that is rough. And a weird allegory for Christianity in general. Kind of. Which I don't super like either. So we see the two of them, and I know that it's supposed to be some, like, opposites attract, you know, manic Christian dream girl kind of nonsense relationship Mm -hmm. where, you know, he likes Jamie because Jamie makes him want to be a better person, and she likes him because he's the first person that's ever, like, really seen her and, like, looked past all of the walls she's put up, blah, blah, blah. I understand, like, from a storytelling perspective, why I'm supposed to buy them as a couple. Sure. But I don't buy them as a couple. Like, mm-hmm. I just don't. Like, it's never clicked with me. And knowing the intentions behind the storytelling of what I'm supposed to be getting out of it makes me dislike them even more, which is frustrating because, like, I, I was made this comment when I was looking at, like, the poster art or whatever. And I was like, where's that movie? Like, that's not the movie that I was given mm-hmm. at all. Like, mm-hmm. that is a movie that I would have watched. This is a movie that is essentially saying that, like, it's your job to fix shitty men. And if somebody treats you poorly, that you have to offer them grace mm-hmm. when you surely do not. Well, it's Christian ethics. Right. Christian ethics, which is just turn really, the other cheek. Yeah. Really, really ridiculous. And having a boyfriend or having love or whatever is the the cure and it, it's what makes it okay that you have cancer. Mm-hmm. Like, I hate that so much because when they finally have the conflict where Jamie explains to him, like, I'm sick and I'm not responding to treatment, like, I'm dying, and he's trying to, like, push with her, she combats and is like, I don't need a reason to, like, be angry with God or, like, to be mm-hmm. conflicted with God or whatever. And it almost feels like, she becomes at peace with dying because God gave her this man who will become her husband for three months until she dies. Mm-hmm. And that's so fucking gross to me. Like, it's so disgusting how, like, the amount of people, I'm not going to cry about it the way I did with The Fault in Our Stars. I'm going to get angry about mm-hmm. it because the amount of people that have told me that I am alive because of God or that I need to be thanking God for surviving cancer, or when I was diagnosed, the amount of people that told me this is just a test from God, or God, you know, only gives his toughest battles to his strongest soldiers, all of that is bullshit. And like, I don't care what you believe. If you're gonna believe something, have your faith, live your life. Don't put that on me. And if you're the kind of person who thinks that that's an appropriate thing to say to somebody when they're sick, go fuck yourself. And I I genuinely believe a lot of people have that mentality, not just from church, but from movies like this, because they romanticize it and mm-hmm. they make it look like this big, beautiful epic that's going to be life changing and it's going to mean so much. And it fucking doesn't. It's mm-hmm. rude. I have two thoughts on, on that school, actually. Go for it. Um, the first one is that I, first of all, I completely agree with you on all of that. Thanks. Um, I think that this movie is not really going to sway people. I think you're going into it expecting it to 
either appeal to you or not. Um, and if you don't like it, the movie doesn't really do a good job of like pitching its case for being a good romance or being a good story, mm-hmm. either because the writing isn't good or the directing's not good or the scene structures. There's a lot of reasons that it just doesn't come together and I don't know which one to blame the most, but it definitely has this defiant like, no, you can't tell me what to do. How dare you try and tell me to feel this way when I'm not invested in it? You didn't earn that. Mm -hmm. It's trying to say like, you want these people to be together because you want them to be together, don't you? Mm -hmm. And And if you don't want them to be together, does that mean you want Jamie to be dead? It it feels kind of like that. And it it definitely has this almost, I have this bratty reaction about it where I'm just like, no, fuck you. Don't tell me what to do. Um, But my, my point to that on the opposite side, though, is that think about this. As teenagers, though. And I, again, I don't want to defend these characters, but I'm trying to be fair. And yes, that's what we do, <laughs> uh, especially because you're the spicier one for once. Uh, I know. I was fully going into this <laughs> expecting me to be the spicy one. Nope, it's me. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> you play with cancer, I'm bringing fire. Cool. Burn it with fire. Um, but no, think about this as teens. Like, Jamie is a, like, 17-year-old girl looking for answers to anything. And the answer she's always had is, like, the answers of her congregation, her community, her her family. It's always been, like, Jesus and faith is the answer. Like, mm-hmm. that's what she puts her trust in. And I think that in the case of Landon, he just wants anything to believe in because he's lost and he's confused. And he's, like, this rebel without a cause who's just committing petty crimes because he's bored in his tiny town. And wanting to live a better life in memory of this woman is is something for him to believe in. Yeah. They're, they're, they're grasping at anything as they both are falling from totally uh, totally different things. Yeah. And they catch each other. And I think that that is really high school where all mm-hmm. of it makes sense, where like it feels like the biggest, most important thing. Yeah, I'm going to get married to this girl. It means something. It's powerful. I've never felt something this strong in my life before, even though I'm a dude who seemingly only like pump and dumps. Mm-hmm. Like, that seems to be his his MO. Yeah. So, of course, you've never really developed an emotional bond with women before. You've never had, like, a woman who's put up with your bullshit to the same level, and therefore you've never developed that connection. So, I kind of get the motivations, but again, I think I'm making excuses for what is overall lazy storytelling. I'm sick. I'll take you home. You'll be better no, tomorrow. No, Landon... I'm sick. I have leukemia. (laughs) No. You're you're 18. You're you're, you're perfect. No, no. I found out two years ago I've stopped responding to treatments. So why didn't you tell me? The doctor said I should go on and live life normally as, as best I could. I, I don't want anybody to be weird around me. Including me? Especially you. You know, I, I was getting along with everything fine. I accepted it, and then you happen. I do not need a reason to be angry with God. So as I was listening to you talk, something else popped in my head is that this movie also has a very weird undercurrent message that moms ain't shit. Um, And I don't know, 
stay with me on this. How dare they say that about Daryl Hannah? So this is, she's part of it. Yeah. So we learn when Jamie's in the hospital that Jamie's mom died during childbirth and she's only had her dad and she's turned out wonderful. She's turned out this lovely, kind-hearted, just wonderful minister's daughter. And then you look at Landon, whose dad isn't really in his life. His dad is a a doctor Mm -hmm. and I think he's a cardiologist who lives in like a really beautiful house, like a little bit outside of town. He looks like he's either remarried or has like a younger girlfriend, something mm-hmm. like that. But he's not really in his son's life. Mm-hmm. So Landon only has his mom. And because he's only had his mom, uh, now he's a bad kid. And now he's rough. And he's rough around the edges. And you don't get a lot of moments where Jamie's dad talks about Landon's mom. He does talk about Landon's dad. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, he's been trying to call you. You need to talk to him. You need to talk to your dad. And it just, it has this weird feeling of me where it just, it it feels like one of the messages this movie has is like, honor thy father, like the patriarchy reigns supreme. Mm -hmm. And I know that, I don't think that that was intentional. This is what we're talking about when we say movies like Last American Virgin has like a weird inherent queerness to it because all of the people in it were queer. Mm -hmm. Because this movie is so deeply rooted in Christianity, there are so many aspects of like toxic masculinity and the patriarchy and all of these like really regressive and repressive systems that are just kind of leaking in from all directions where this movie has like so many weird messages that they're kind of like subtextually trying to trick you into. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm thinking about how like Landon is, you know, not respecting women and has never respected or developed a good relationship with his with his girlfriends or whatever. Is that because he doesn't respect his mom because he learned from his dad not to respect women? Like these are all of the things that are going in my head where it's like we see him hating his dad, but then we also see him acting like his dad. Like what is the message here? Like I is it that your dad is the most important person in your life? Like I don't understand it and it's frustrating. It there's so much mixed messaging happening. Uh yeah, I I agree. I mean, my brother hated my dad, and yet he ended up exactly like him. So, I I think that that's just a common thing when you're lashing out, and then you end up imitating the only other male figure you have. Because I think this really just has to stem from how he addressed Landon, which is like in Jamie's case, he's a single father who's raising a daughter. That's hard. That's commendable. Right. Versus Landon is now without a father figure. And How his, tragic. There's nothing we can do about that because mom can't relate to her young boy the way that, you know, a dad would. Right. Like, that just doesn't exist. And that's a very, um, I, I guess, classic American masculine take. Uh, which, again, if this was set in the 50s, that would make total fucking sense. It would be extra weird if this couple was a divorced couple in the 50s. Right. Like, that would be really ambitious and interesting, but it's not. Instead, you have, like classic heartland bible belt america thing of just like toxic masculinity reigns supreme who cares what mom has to think let's put daryl hannah in a terrible brunette wig god that wig is so awful and this is done at like the same time as kill bill volume two where daryl hannah is dummy hot and like her lip fillers are like kind of at different levels over the course of the movie which is weird and they slap her in a wig where you can see her hair poking out the bottom when she ties it up yeah there's some choices yeah but how dare they yeah <laughs> like respect thy mother <laughs> this movie is a romance movie about a girl who's dying of cancer and yet it is so centered on 
men. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all about well, Landon and her dad. Well, it's written from Nicholas Sparks' perspective. Yeah. And he's writing about his sister, not from the perspective of his sister. But he's usually not this bad at it. Like, well, the notebook it, at least is so much more, like, from the women's perspective. I also, I'm so sorry to people. I know you love it. I hate the notebook as well. But, like, it's so egregious in this. <laughs> it's so egregious. I, um... Can, can I take a detour to tell the story about the first time my mom saw the notebook? Oh, my God. Yes, please. Um, so my mother, um, first time she ever saw the notebook was on TV. It was either on Lifetime or, like, the Oxygen Network. And, like, I was aware of what the notebook was about because I had been forced to watch it by some of my female friends in high school. Mm-hmm. So this movie is on, and I'm, like, I don't know, just on my phone or, like, reading a book playing a Game Boy. I'm doing something in the same room as my mother while she's watching it, but I'm not watching the movie. Mm-hmm. And you get to the point where the, 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 the old woman remembers and she's like, oh my goodness. And they fall in love and they embrace and it's beautiful. And then credits roll. What? The credits rolled. And I went, that's not right. That old couple dies. And my mother thinks that I'm just being a shithead teen going, how could you say that? This is a beautiful movie. Whichever channel this was, I'm going to I'm gonna blame Oxygen, because I think <laughs> Lifetime audiences can handle a little more tragedy. I'm going to blame Oxygen. Ooh, then this is Hallmark Channel. Possibly. Hallmark Channel cannot handle the tragedy. Exactly. It's one of these, like, mom channels. They cut out the sad ending where they both die at the end. Why would they do that? I don't know, <laughs> but my mother was convinced I was just being an asshole by going, no, they should die. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I also don't like the notebook, but I think that's a funny story to share. That is a really funny story to share. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I so I also saw this movie for the first time with my mom, but it was on rental. And I remember we were watching it in the basement with all the lights off because otherwise there was like a weird glare on the TV. Just being so, like, you watch it like a scary movie? Yes. Um, <laughs> Lo- the looming threat of leukemia is scary. <laughs> Um, I mean, it is. It is. That's that's for real. I know. But, uh, I'm yeah. not making fun of it. I'm just, just like re- that you're watching it like a scary movie. I just remember watching this movie and like we turn the lights on and my mom is just beside herself. She is just weeping. And I like reflexively start crying because my mom is crying. Mm-hmm. And I, well, I'm a sympathetic crier just to begin with. But seeing my mom or my dad cry is like a- another level for me where my body just like, oh, no, no, they're not supposed to feel this way. I have to now feel this way. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Um, and I became just kind of fascinated with this movie because it. I think the same way that this was the first time that you realize movies can be bad. This is one of the first times that I realized like how emotionally manipulative movies can be. Uh-huh. Like I already knew that that existed with horror like that for sure. I was like, well, you can control people with fear through yeah, horror going for that cheap pop yes exactly whereas this was the first time i realized like oh no no you can like really emotionally manipulate people with mm-hmm. this and this movie does that in in droves because what's so upsetting is that there are aspects to this movie that i find very sweet uh one of them being like jamie's uh, her bucket list but this is pre the bucket list so that's not the word for it yet yeah It's just Um, her list. It's just her list of things she wants to do. Yeah. And the way that Landon goes about helping her do that, like being two places at once and taking her to the state line. That's very cute. Mm -hmm. Um, Getting a tattoo. And uh, I very much confess this to you. 
that when he takes her like off the shoulder down to put a uh, a little butterfly temporary tattoo on her shoulder. Because real tattoos are sinful. Correct. Um, but that was the first time as like, I don't know, an 11, 12 year old that I was like, oh, wait, oh, shoulders can be kind of sexy. That's weird. Good okay. thing for me because I am all shoulders. Yeah, you are all shoulders. It's great. <laughs> um, but I remember being like 11 or 12 or however I was when I saw this and being like, oh, wait, whoa, that's a weird. Okay. Uh-huh. I get that. I understand why burlesque is a thing now. Yeah. Um, which is a very weird thing to say as an adult. But hey, I was 12 and it's fine that Manny Moore was 17 then because I was 12. Exactly. So but but on that note, like these th- these scenes are sweet. I like seeing them. But it's almost like when we watch 10 Things I Hate About You, which is another romance that I don't really buy. And you have like, OK, the the, the song number in the stadium. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's a great scene. I love it in of itself. You have like the montage of them playing paintball. It's like, okay, that's kind of okay by itself. But then you put it in the context of the movie and it doesn't fit. Where it's like, okay, but why do you like each other now? Right. Like you didn't earn this. You're just doing stuff that is romantic, but I don't buy the actual arc of the romance. And I think that's the frustration of being like, well, the ending is a foregone conclusion. She's not getting better. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah. So what do you want to see? Um, Pluto. Um, Pluto only rises a few minutes before the sun. Right. And I have brought us the thermos of hot coffee and um, a blanket. You planned this. Oh, I hoped for it. <laughs> are you trying to seduce me? Why are you seducible? That's what I thought. Ergo, a second blanket one for me and one for you thank you so during quarantine a lot of people were doing a lot of uh re-watches of things so there's a lot of articles about movies from this era of people just revisiting it like oh i love this as a teenager wonder how it is now i mean that's what this podcast was born out of yes it sure fucking was <laughs> guilty as charged but i did find an article on vogue from Emma Spector from February of 2021. And it was 38 thoughts I had while rewatching A Walk to Remember. And I want to read some of these to you because I had a lot of them. Mm-hmm. So number one, Ugh, teens are being bad, which violates my personal code of curmudgeonly ethics. One teen in particular, Clay, gets seriously injured after jumping into a body of water from a great distance, which really confirms my desire to never do that. Again, I'm not fun, <laughs> which I like that. And I love that it's like, uh, teens are being bad because that's exactly. And, and also that seems like a big thing that oh, like, oh, Clay got hurt. And then he's in like one more scene. And then there's like weird gay tension. Yeah, There's such weird gay tension between Landon and Clay in the like, hospital. The way it's shot is just very strange. And then we don't really see him for the the rest of the movie yeah <laughs> so uh number two brooding clearly troubled landon helps clay but gets into some legal trouble in the process not to mention sustaining injuries of his own he totally gets called out at church and yes fyi everyone in this movie is very into church is it bad that the only thing i remembered about it was mandy moore's bangs also yeah they do her so dirty these bangs are not cute on her and all of the marketing has the bangs pulled back which is such a better look Mm -hmm. um how dare they they um they they separate a lot she ends up with like unintentional lydia deets bangs Mm -hmm. where it's almost like you cut triangles out of the side of a bit of cardboard (laughs) 
Um, so here's some other ones that are good. Speak of the devil, Jamie gets ruthlessly mocked by Landon's cool friends for dressing poorly, but she doesn't care, though, because she's a better person than they are. So, yes, this person also agrees with me that... That she's smug? Yeah, she's presented as so smug, and, like, she's not clearly supposed to be. She's supposed to just be somebody who, like, I just don't let it get to me. But it comes off as, like, so smug. Yes, but also, actually, speaking of Landon's friends, Mm -hmm. his, like, main guy, Eric... His like best bud, who's essentially like oh. a walking stereotype. Oh, he is the he's the fucking not another teen movie. Like I'm here to just say jive ass things. Woo. Yeah, he's it's, so bad. It's really rough. And like the thing that's so shitty too is that he also does have really lovely moments as well. Like where he tells him like, yeah, you've changed, and he's like, oh, what? Belinda say that too, and he's like, no. I did. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's a great, like, bro moment. I yeah. love that. But, like, their secret handshake has them, like, pretending to smoke weed. Like, come on. They're what so the rebellious. Fuck? <laughs> I don't know. Um, this I really love. Absolute cop out that the school play is allegedly written by a student rather than an actual play that the makers of A Walk to Remember would presumably have to pay the rights to. Let me see Cabaret. <laughs> Can I just point out that this, like, old timey prohibition era gangster story? Has, like, modern pop songs written for it? Yes, it sure does. Written by Jamie. Allegedly. Allegedly. Not Switchfoot. <laughs> Not Switchfoot at all. Uh. <laughs> oh, but can, Okay, but that moment, though, that, like, that moment where she's singing and then you're singing on the couch next I'm to me. I'm so sorry. It's just, like, it's Pavlovian. Yeah. And Mandy Moore looks great. Mm-hmm. So great that Landon breaks script and, and kisses, kisses her. In front of everyone. And then Belinda's upset about it. She's so mad. Belinda Brenda is upset about it. <laughs> Belinda Brenda. <laughs> yeah, and also, like, so I've read some things. Nicholas Sparks talked about how he didn't want to give Jamie glasses because of not another teen movie and didn't want to do the Which whole. Which came out the year before this, yeah. Yes, and didn't want to do the whole, like, oh, she gets a makeover by taking off her glasses, which he didn't do. But what he did do was give her a side part. It was like, she comes out on stage, she's wearing a cloak for whatever reason. I guess this mysterious lounge singer in Prohibition era has to wear a cloak because she's mysterious. like a wizard. <laughs> yeah, she looks like a fucking wizard. <laughs> it's what we had in the prop department. Come on. And then she <laughs> she takes off the cloak to reveal this, like, really beautiful sparkly dress yeah. and a side part and a soft wave and suddenly Landon realizes for the first time that Mandy Moore, one of the most beautiful women in the world, is actually hot. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you didn't do the glasses thing, but you did remove those shitty bangs. Uh-huh. Oh, God. Just that girl next door. I guess. Became a girl next door that you pay attention to. <laughs> it's so freaking annoying. Oh, my God. Um. So another point that the writer brings up is, oh my God, this is so mean. I can't stand it. The popular girls make a flyer with Jamie's head photoshopped into a bikini picture. Very 2002 era cyberbullying, but it clearly hurts anyway. Jamie is mortified. It's a great Photoshop. Very believable. So what's really funny to me is this is not the... (laughs) This is not the last time that Mandy Moore is going to be photoshopped in a Christian movie as a way to hurt her feelings <laughs> because they do that in Saved when she's Hillary Fay and she's actually the worst. Oh, but I love that their way of getting back at her is, hey, look, we put your head on a hot body. And your face is in black and white and the picture is not. So clearly it's believably well, it's, you. It's supposed to look bad. Like it's really just to put hurt her feelings by being like, look, we're calling you a slut because you kissed my boyfriend on stage in front of everyone. You harlot. You trollop. You strumpet. But like, dude. 
Why, what, how are you hurting someone's feelings by going like, hey, you're hot? Right. Like, <laughs> it's such a weird bully, I guess. And what's also really funny to me is that we have spent the entire movie up until this point believing that Jamie does not give a single fuck about anything. And then suddenly she is, like, mortified the world is ending. And it's like, this is so not a real prank. And I understand, like, everybody has their limits, obviously. And as somebody who is very modest, this is, like, mortifying for her. Mm-hmm. But also, this goes against her entire character. Up until, like, this, Jamie would not have done this. Jamie would have been like, wow, you're really good with computers. Can you show me how to do that sometime? And, like, suck the wind out of all yeah, of it. Yeah, but that's only at the beginning when she still had, like, her levy up. But Landon kissing her, like, put too much attention on her, and it, like, broke the levy. Okay, good point. So now she is just, like, overflowing with emotion. (laughs) Okay, very, very good point. Uh, Let's see. What else do we got here? Good God, Landon has a star named for Jamie. Classic aughts romance move. (laughs) And, like, I want to make fun of this, but I'm also the same person who adopted a possum in your name for Valentine's Day one year. Yeah. So, mm, I guess that makes me a fuckboy. I, I hope my child's doing well. Probably not. Possums don't live for more than a couple of years. Yeah. This that, was this was like three years ago. That baby might not be that, alive. That baby might may have passed on at this point. <laughs> that's that's sad to think about. That's way sadder than this movie. Damn it. Um. So something that they did point out that I love is uh, at the at the end of the movie, Jamie has this book of quotes from her mother and what's really funny is when she goes to give the book to Landon she goes don't worry it's not a bible but I learned from behind the scenes it actually just was a bible that they put pages in great which is hilarious to me but there's a bunch of famous quotes from people that her mother liked and one of them is Dolly Parton Mm -hmm. and I love that like Dolly really is the great like equalizer yeah everyone loves Dolly Parton everyone loves Dolly but okay here's actually a thing that I saw on Twitter that I think was a very good point which was, um, I think this was around the, the 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 Lil Nas X controversy, maybe, of like Montero and grinding on Satan and stuff like that, where people were like, oh, well, the left is so easy to dismay the Christians and everyone hates them and we're embracing Satan and all that. And it's like, you know who the left doesn't hate? Dolly Parton, a renowned like religious p- person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... I don't think the issue is that we hate you for your faith. We hate you because you're a butthole. <laughs> Everyone loves Dolly. Dolly yeah. is saving the world. The cast of 9 to 5 has done more for America than our government. <laughs> you're not wrong. They absolutely have. <laughs> so I, I think that that's an interesting point worth bringing up where it's like, okay, well, you can be religious and not suck. Yeah, it's real easy. It's just, it's, it, with specifically Christianity and Catholicism, with how everything is taught, there is this self-righteousness to it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, everything about it is that it is your responsibility to save other people, and if you don't do that, then you're bad at being a Christian. And you're also being persecuted every step of the way. Yeah. Yeah, dumb. So, it's, it's a mess. Yeah. So It's, it's a snake eating its own tail, unfortunately. Yeah. Which like, hey, um, if you're if you fail no matter what, then that works out for a religion that's built around suffering. (laughs) (laughs) I saw Passion of the Christ. It's nothing but suffering. (laughs) So something that I do want to talk about and why I think this movie is as popular as it is. Yes. Is not just because this is the first time we're getting like sad mom romance movie for teens. But the music, because like you pointed out, I knew every single word to Only Hope. The song was inescapable for me when mm-hmm. I was when I was younger. And 
uh, you know, my best friend actually messaged me the other day and was like, hey, what did I sing for my senior choir final? And for a half second, I was like, did you sing Only Hope from A Walk to Remember? And she's like, <laughs> no, I didn't sing that, but someone else definitely did. And I was like, all right, cool. So I didn't misremember that. Someone did sing that song for their choir final. Yeah. Um, but the music is such a character in this movie, and it is mostly Switchfoot. Mm-hmm. And Switchfoot uh, became the band that they are now because of the success of this movie. Mm-hmm. And they got on the soundtrack because Mandy Moore liked the band. Mm-hmm. Because here's the other thing. Speaking of Christians who are not buttholes, Mandy Moore is a Christian. Mm-hmm. And she's not a butthole. <laughs> like, yeah. it's... Real easy. You don't have to be Chris Pratt. I don't know why people don't understand this. I mean, Jar of Clay is on this soundtrack for a hot sack. Mm-hmm. And Jar of C- Clay was like Christian music megastars for a while and ended up getting shunned by their fan base because they were like, hey, maybe it's actually okay for gay. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I'm not trying to sit here and be like, all Christians are bad because they're not. It's just the bad Christians are bad. <laughs> the bad Christians are also the loudest. Yeah, um, aren't which they is, just? Which is the problem. Yeah. Um, but no, the music in this is so big. Like people really, like I loved Switchfoot when I was younger, like not fully understanding they were a Christian band because again, I'm like 12. I mean, I liked Skillet. Of course you did. Hey, I liked the string arrangements. <laughs> I liked Flyleaf. I can't say shit. Okay, see, there we go. I liked the first Under Oath album. I can't say shit. Yeah, exactly. Um, I love Alice Cooper, which his music isn't really that religious. But, but he is. He's a born-again Christian. <laughs> he sure is. And is mostly okay for Sometimes. an old man. Yeah. <laughs> Some He has his days. Exactly. Um, But yeah, this movie is one of those teen movies of the aughts that the soundtrack is I think just as important as the movie. Wall-to-wall needle drops. Wall-to-wall needle drops and people know it. Like this is definitely the introduction people had for songs like Dare You to Move. This is the introduction a lot of people had to Someday We'll Know. Yeah, like more than one new Radical song on the soundtrack and it's not the hit. Right, which Which, is so weird. And the new Radicals were already broken up by the time this movie came out. Mm -hmm. Um, I particularly like, and I pointed this out, was that uh, Mother Just Can't Get Enough is the opening track on the one New Radicals album, which I love, by the way. Anybody who has not listened to that whole album, it's fantastic. Yes. But that's used for the makeover kind of shopping montage. Mm -hmm. And the opening line of that song on the album is, Make my nipples hard, let's go. Yeah, that's a that's a choice for them to use that song, knowing that that's the opening. Some colorful editing. But then again, this movie opens with somebody talking about how they have to take a piss. You know, and like, it's true. And like before, somebody's like, uh, "Actually, they say come on and hey and is he here yet?" None of those are declarative statements. Those All aren't those are full sentences. No, they're not full sentences What's or they're the questions. <laughs> the first actual like full statement that is not a question in this movie is. Yeah, I got to take a massive piss. And it's like, okay, now we know we're in the bad zone. Yeah. Okay. But I um, I don't know. I listened to a lot of Christian music growing up, obviously. Because um, this was during the era where, like, you th- th- it was starting to break into, like, the mainstream now. You had the post-grunge Christian bands that were kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So then you had, like, cool youth group ministers who were just like, hey, you know what band actually is Christian? Reliant K. Man, it killed me the first time I found out Reliant K was Christian because I really liked them. I like Reliant K. <laughs> They've gr- their cover albums are fantastic. Uh, they do the best version of Africa. Yeah, they do, without a doubt. It's Hands so good. Down. Big fan of their cover of uh, Pirates Who Don't Do Anything. Yeah, it is also very good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God damn you, Christian bands! Why do you have to sometimes be cool? Just like I, I, I'd be lying if I said my baby tranny heart did not sit there and go, "Who I am does hate who I've been." <laughs> So, like, I don't know. I like Ryan K. 
Oh, God. Uh, whew, I'm crying. So as I'm thinking more and more about A Walk to Remember, I, I do think that my biggest issue altogether, and I know I've said, like, my biggest issue at least six times today, like, don't come for me. I know how I speak. It's like biggest issue with a bullet, subsection A, B, and C. Yes, because they're all related <laughs> to one another. And it, it is all ultimately that, like, I don't buy this relationship. But I really do think that this movie implanted that really ucky seed of women being responsible for the success of their relationships. Mm -hmm. And I know so many women who did really want to seek out like the bad boy and the guy that treated them badly and like make it work because Jamie could do it. And while they weren't obviously saying like, oh, I want a romance, like I walk to remember because nobody wants to be like, I want a romance where I die. Um, that mentality became a lot more obvious to me after this movie. And I don't know if it was just because I was becoming a teenager after this movie and mm -hmm. that's when we start figuring out or if it genuinely just was a cultural message that was getting pushed a lot harder of this idea of like women becoming rehabs for broken men. But a walk to remember really does feel like the root of that, mm -hmm. um, at least for our generation. And that is so very concerning to me. And you know, the reason that I called her the manic Christian dream girl is because when we look at the manic pixie dream girl trope, like that character exists to push forward the narrative of the man's story. That mm -hmm. character exists to teach a man something about life. Like really, it's not it's not about her. And that's how I feel about this movie, because as much as this movie is about Jamie, the girl that Landon fell in love with who died of leukemia and it was so sad, who gets the the arc? Landon. Who gets the story? Landon. Who gets to live? Landon. Mm -hmm. And it's like Jamie was used as a tool and her suffering was used as a tool to better this know-nothing guy who has daddy issues and doesn't see a fucking therapist. Is that a metaphor for Jesus dying for our sins? Ugh, ew. Why did you say it? Because now that's all I'm thinking about. I don't know. It just, it seems to make sense, though. And yeah, I mean, she's she's a Christ figure. Like, she's the best, purest, one, most wonderful thing. She's too pure for this world. She's got to go, but everyone's going to be better for, for having known her. Mm -hmm. Like, it is such like an allegory for that. And again, why I'm so thrilled that Danielle Sparks did not read this book. Um... They're like, is this what you think of me? Right. And <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's weird anytime anybody writes anything about you, right? Where it's yeah. like, this is based on you, or I wrote this for you, or it's just like, ah, uh, I don't know, man. Is, is this what I'm like? Okay. Yeah, it gets pretty dicey uh, pretty fast, me thinks. Well, yeah, um, you have multiple emo albums written about you. Oh, God, I do. Go to our Nick and Nora episode for that conversation. <laughs> um, yeah, I – and and – I want to I want to make something very clear. I know that there are a lot of people who really love this movie and they love it because it's like a cheap emotional plug. It's it's junk food for the romance part of their soul. It's obviously not grounded in any semblance of reality, so it's easy to kind of get lost up in this. And I don't I don't feel badly or think poorly of anyone who likes this movie. I understand why people like this movie. I just really don't like the legacy that this movie has left for so many of the women in my life. Mm -hmm. um, 
because again, we say it all the time, no one ever interrogates the impacts of the stuff that they consumed as teenagers. And I wish more people would interrogate the impact this movie had on them. Yeah. um, I mentioned this earlier when we kind of unpacked like Jamie's motivation and how so much of her is basically what was, I I don't want to say indoctrinated by her her upbringing of like her dad and her religion and all these things. But it is indoctrination. Like it is. Call it what it is. If you are raised in any sort of religious household, regardless of what that religion is, you are being indoctrinated because you never had a choice. Well, yeah. I remember um, when I asked my pastor, like, hey, why are there no dinosaurs in the Bible? And he said, that's because dinosaurs aren't real. I went, well, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen Jurassic Park, and that's way cooler. (laughs) So um, that was where I tapped out on my faith at, like, age seven. But I remember having the conversation with my mother, like, I don't know, it's like a 13, 14-year-old when I'm really starting to question life and then asking genuine things that people don't think about. It's like, hey, um, why are you Christian? Like, why are, why are we Lutheran? It's like, because that's, that's what we are. And I'm like, okay, but why? And she's like, because that's what I was raised as and that's what I believe. And I'm like, but say you were raised Muslim or, or Jewish or any other religion, would you believe that one purely because you were raised that religion? She went, no, I believe this one because I think it's the right one. And I'm like, but you've, n- you've never even thought about this. Right. And that's the question I have. So an issue that we have with someone like Jamie or people who learn things from Jamie is that how often do you see stories about young girls who grew up in wildly religious households and – they're really the most vulnerable person to this kind of behavior, this kind of Mm -hmm. messaging. And then they reach adulthood and have to basically start their lives over. Yeah. It's difficult to hear stories of any of my friends who grew up in like very religious households and how it's affecting them now. Oh yeah. And the last couple of years, especially I've seen a lot of my friends who grew up very, very religious, um, having these massive crises because they're realizing that a lot of the, the people in their lives um, that they thought were their community um, aren't good. I mean, Mm -hmm. our, our friends over at why did we ever meet? They talk frequently about how, you know, their parents left the church because the church stopped being about God and started being about guns and masks and Trump and Mm -hmm. shit that is, has nothing to do with faith or you know, the, the testaments of Christians. They've become hand in hand, which is like an unfortunate thing where like, hey, uh, Christianity is now a catch-all for a lot of the horrible negative things that exist in our not religious specific, but absolutely Christian nation. Well, it's like the, it's the fact that like, I feel unsafe if I see somebody with an American flag in their yard. Oh yeah. The American flag is no longer like, oh, hey, you served in World War II and I'm, thank you for your service, Captain. No, it's like, Oh God, you're a right wing fucking nut. Yeah, you're like, a racist. Like, how can you proudly fly that flag anymore? Yeah, it's this unpleasant gut reaction to things because of harsh negativity, and that's kind of the ongoing trauma that we have with a lot of our friends. Even me, who had like a fairly innocuous religious upbringing, like we were not the most avid people. Um, I think we went mostly because my mother didn't want to get harassed by my grandma for why we didn't go to church. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was just avoiding annoyance rather than like a harsh, steadfast belief. Mm-hmm. But 
we're seeing how much people are like dealing with like PTSD from having grown up this way. And I, I don't know. I don't think anything would have, let's say hypothetically, Jamie doesn't die at the end of this story. I don't, I, I think that she's pretty much got her whole life already planned out. Well, so here's an, here's a very interesting thing that I have found fascinating about her character. Huh? She's somebody who is so deeply religious. Mm hmm. But she also like wants to be an astronomer and is like really into science and like mm. super into the the stars and the universe and the cosmos. And there are a lot of things that she will eventually learn mm -hmm. had she doesn't die that are in direct conflict with the Bible. Yeah. And that is like the foundations of the universe. Why stars even exist? What a shooting star is. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of that stuff directly contradicts the bible mm -hmm. and like that i've i've always found very like interesting as, as a story plot i mean it, it's a nice easy romance thing because no he's got to build the telescope before she dies and he's Stars gonna name are a romantic star. to look at right like i understand all of that from just the the storytelling perspective yeah but like had she not died uh jamie was gonna have some massive crisis of faith as she got older i mean if she chose to think about it yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. She might have just like unquestioning loyalty to her faith. It could go either way, really. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't know. Get her on TikTok. That, that'll change anything. I've, <laughs> I don't know why the algorithm has decided that I need to be on like ex-Mormon, ex-Fundy, ex-Westboro uh, Baptist Church TikTok, but I found it and I just want to buy all of them a whole tray of brownies and hug them and let them cry because yeah. it is bleak. It is yeah. so bleak mm -hmm. to see how many people have just like lost their whole families because they don't believe the same thing anymore. It, oh God, it breaks my heart. Um, yeah. So um, I feel that I do. Yeah. I've been seeing that a lot with people over the last two, uh, I, I was going to say two years in particular, but I'm like, no, really since 2016. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really just reached a headway during yeah, the, the pandemic. pandemic's just kind of skyrocketed everything. <laughs> Yeah. A little bit more. Everyone's a little more um a little more raw. Yeah. A little more a little more uh in tuned with, with, with minor pricks and pokes. <laughs> uh you're you, it's hard to ignore things. So yeah, I, I think it is interesting to kind of think about like where Jamie would go. Cause like this is her, her main interest outside of like her faith and her romance and her family. Yeah, is the stars. I think since she spent the last several years basically being like, Yeah, treatment doesn't work. And I'm just preparing for the end now. She hasn't even considered like, oh, what do I want to be when I grow up? Mm -hmm. Like that's never crossed her mind because she's been planning since she was like 14 years old to not get old. Mm -hmm. And so. that is that is relatable. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's relatable, not even just in this in the semblance of people who are sick. Mm -hmm. But I think teenagers especially, a, a big bulk of us don't think we're going to make it very long. Oh, no, I didn't. And we live accordingly. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's another reason why this movie becomes relatable to people, even if they're not religious, is because they know what it feels like to think that you're not going to make it. Mm -hmm. But no, I was not anticipating. I was like, oh, I'll probably be dead by 25. So what do I need to fucking think about like a career or retirement plans? But I even think about like my family growing up, though, and how... It was basically instilled in me by my mother and my grandmother and my grandfather. Hey, you probably got the kidneys from our side of the family. 
which means you probably have polycystic kidneys, which means you might have to be on dialysis by the time you're 45. Yeah. And when you're religious, like my grandparents were, it's like, oh, well, you're suffering so that you can just have another another day, another week, another month, another year with your grandkids. Like, there's, you're working towards something. You're fighting to have this joy. But when you're like five years old, six years old, all the way up till now, and it's like, hey, um, your life's going to suck and it's going to hurt. And this is like a, certainly a more small scale thing than like leukemia or cancer or anything super severe. This is more of just an inconvenience that probably won't kill me, but might. It's making you think about your own mortality from an extremely young age. You're having to think about like your own difficulties and suffering where I see my grandpa like have to get like go to dialysis every week and he can't move, which I didn't realize was from arthritis at the time. But it's like, oh, God, that's going to be me. Mm -hmm. And that's just a lot to put on like a young child or a 14 year old. Like I, I get where Jamie's coming from and it's hard and I sympathize for that. And Mandy Moore makes me feel that part through her acting. But that's Mandy Moore doing that for me, not Nicholas Sparks doing that for me. That I think is the the most important distinction in this movie is that any ounce of empathy or just sorrow that I feel for Jamie has nothing to do with Nicholas Sparks's writing and everything to do with how remarkably talented Mandy Moore is in this role. She's yeah. the perfect casting in mm -hmm. this. Wasn't it supposed to be um, Jessica Simpson originally? Yes. I don't think that would have gone over well. No, I don't think so either. And I, I know this is kind of like the second time in this episode we've made a dig at Jessica Simpson. Um, <laughs> and I mean, I think we did in the last episode too. <laughs> I think we did too. And like that no, is... Nothing bad against Jessica Simpson. I just, def I, I defended her adamantly on Twitter for like mom Jean Gate from 2005. And I'm like, no, she was hot. Fuck you all. Yeah, no, it's just a matter of like she just would have been miscast in this role. Like yeah. Mandy Moore is the person for this role. She's, she just, she's, she's the girl it. next door. Yeah. She's it. Like Jessica yeah. Simpson is too mind blowingly hot. Like, yeah. and that's and, not to say that Mandy Moore isn't like, she's beautiful, but like you strip her down, you can make her like, they make her look sick, like believably sick in this movie to, it, in a way that's like very uncomfortable for me because I look at her and I'm like, Oh, I know what it feels like to look like that. Oh God. But here's the thing. You also look at her and it's like, you don't really realize she's sick at first. It kind of just looks like, oh, you don't wear makeup because you're modest. But when you know that she's sick, it becomes so much more apparent. Like, oh, they were telling us from the get-go that yeah. she's sick. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, go, kudos to the makeup department. Y'all crushed it there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or lack of makeup. I'm assuming there has to be some makeup on there. Yeah, there is. Okay. Because you can't just... You can't just be in front of a camera without it. No, she just rolls out of bed and is like, I, hey, I stayed up and smoked some cigarettes the night before. I got big <laughs> bags under my eyes. Let's rock this scene. <laughs> just imagine Mandy Moore saying that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> well, Harmony, I feel like uh, I already know the answer to this, but we're going to ask it anyway. A walk to remember is asking you to the prom, or I guess a marriage proposal. Jesus. Is it a yes, a no, or a maybe? And uh, are you writing anything on the card back? Oh, God. We're going to leave a lot of room for Jesus. <laughs> so much room. Uh, and say no. I'm I'm good. <laughs> I can endlessly commend Mandy Moore for her role in this because she's great. I have no desire to revisit this movie ever again. Thank God, because I don't want to. I, it was not a fun time. It was just kind of monotonous and 
honestly, had I not had to like actively think about it as hard as I do based on my own, based on my own like Sunday school kind of upbringing and that we do a show on it where we have to like deep dive into it. Oh, I would have checked out so hard, so fast. <laughs> like it was work. I'm so sorry that uh you had to pay attention to a movie. Well, it's not even that it was pay attention. That's like it was it was a lot of work to stay paying attention to it. Like I yeah. wanted to drift away. Like like you ever have a point where there's a slow part during a movie you're not super invested in? It's like oh, I'll pull out my phone. Mm-hmm. It's like no, I can't do that. I have to actually watch this movie. You have to actively like this movie is not doing a good job of earning my attention. Yeah, I understand. Which like if I'm at home and I'm on my couch. I have all of the amenities of my entire life at my disposal. I can do anything. Mm-hmm. And this movie is making me want to do anything else. <laughs> well, friends, I think that uh, that about ends our walk to remember, which... Oh, I mean, sure, I'll remember it. It sure was memorable. <laughs> mm. If you like this episode, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. We also have our Patreon, patreon.com backslash This Ends at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And thank you as always to the Sonderbombs for allowing us the wonderful theme song of title. Y'all are the best. We love you so very much. Harmony, what cool indie band do you want people to check out this week? So I think people who listen to our podcast, and by the way, we do have a lovely playlist where all of these bands get plugged together into one solitary listening experience. Find those on our socials. Yes. If you listen to the bands I plug, usually they're uh, they're a little more punchy, a little more high energy, a little more uh, attitude. I'm trying to avoid that this week and break my own trends. So I'm plugging a group called Harmony Woods. Ooh, what a name. I've been avoiding bringing up this band solely for that reason. (laughs) Yeah, because if uh, those of you who don't know, hey, Harmony, what was your last name before you got married? Moon. Yep, Harmony Moon in the Harmony Woods. I was 18. (laughs) Anyway, um, Harmony Woods released an album called Graceful Rage last year. That is, um, there's a lot of dissonance, loud guitars, but like, but it's very spaced out, very quiet, big dynamics. Um, I'm a big fan of that album. However, just last month, they released an audio tree live recording of some of, several of those songs. And maybe it's just that I just miss live music. Um, but there's a warmth to that that feels a lot better to my ears, even if I think that it's not as polished as a studio recording is. But Harmony Woods is great, very emotive. Uh, my favorite songs on this album include easy it's definitely easy that's my favorite one god's gift to women and the title track of graceful rage Ooh, graceful rage i like that yeah so all all super tight stuff and go go check uh, them out as well as our place of all of our cool indie bands that we like to give shine a spotlight on awesome especially since uh, a lot of tours are getting canceled right now yeah yes they sure are because mm-hmm. miss omicron be throwing a tantrum <sighs> All right, friends. Thank you, as always, for listening. We will see you next week. And as always, save that last dance for us. Bye. And also with you. Oh, my God.
Paul, let's go. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.